absolutely ridiculous. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Around the Course Squash Podcast. It's a Friday morning. It's a good Friday. How are we doing, fellas? Black Friday, not good Friday. Oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. All Fridays are good, <laughs> in my mind. Yeah, it is a good Friday. Uh, we got we got here 60. It's going to be over 60 degrees Fahrenheit, over... Uh, what is that in Celsius? It, like, like pr- hopefully get up to 15, 14 today. Beauty gonna be nice yeah so gonna hit the hit the golf course get ready get re- get ready for the winter season hopefully things go into lockdown hopefully get down to florida to play a little <laughs> extending extending the golf season so, so chris you haven't made the mistake of assuming it's saturday and booking in a full day of lessons oh, wait, <laughs> no 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 <laughs> i t- i took the entire weekend off i'm like that one I'm just like applies arthur. to arthur yeah <laughs> arthur yeah just, you know, I've not come back to that. I can't say anything. Every day is Monday for you, Arthur. You grind and every oh, I day. Love, I love Mondays. I love Mondays. I actually think it's the best day of the week. <laughs> you're refreshed, you're recharged, you're ready to go and do it. Do another good day. Another good week of improvement. <laughs> so so I did, I, I played, I played a match on Thursday and then, and then did maybe four or five hours of coaching and then Probably did six or seven on Friday, and then I think I did seven lessons in a match on Saturday, and a pretty pretty tough match. And in in between, after around five lessons, and so I've been feeling a little beat up since last weekend. And last night, um, right before the big you know turkey dinner, we were playing a little ping pong, and I think from bending over and picking up the ball on the ground so many times my left lower back, like my left sciatica blew up and I had to be on a, I was on a heat pad for about an hour before dinner to loosen up. <laughs> oh man, that's brutal. <laughs> yeah. So it was, this break came just in time. I was just about to break down. Well, I'm due to be picking up a racket for the first time since March tomorrow. Not a squash racket, obviously, because <laughs> that's, that's a step too far, but got a, a huge mixed doubles paddle tennis match. Shout out to my partner, Carrie Hallam. Better be ready, Carrie. <laughs> don't, don't let him down. He's got high standards. <laughs> I'm definitely not ready. So one of us has to be. <laughs> well, I got a text on Wednesday from my brother saying, God is dead with a, an emoji of a tear coming down the eye. And I looked at it and I was thinking, there's only one person he, he, he could actually be mean in here. I hope I'm wrong. And it was turned on the BBC News and good old Diego Maradona unfortunately passed away sadly but uh, what a legend had to watch his documentary again last night and just to revel in his brilliance and you talk about athleticism and Hadrian was talking about sports movement last week you watch some of the YouTube clips of him doing like these little sort of you know vertical hip releases and little sort of dance moves to get his feet and his hips and his body moving and grooving what an athlete I also read it. Sorry, I also read an article today of Peter Shilton, the goalkeeper for England in 1986, and he's still bitter <laughs> that a man half his height jumped up above him and knocked the ball over his head with his hand. <laughs> Talk about legends, and he's certainly someone that falls into that category uh, in not just Argentina but also in Scotland. So, uh, <laughs> in fact, Arthur, you sent me a great little sort of—I don't know what you call it. It's not quite a meme, but it's a 
picture of him with the quote, sure, the English may very well hate me, but the Scottish love me. That's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> and so do the Irish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he is a legend. I mean, that term gets thrown around way too much uh, for my taste, but he definitely falls into that category. But yeah, there you go. Sad day. Anyways, what we got, guys? Well, we've had a bit of squash actually this week. I don't know if you guys caught any of it, but um, England squash put on a really good event, I thought, um, for their sort of less established, more up-and-coming players. I think the criteria was that you couldn't have played for England more than five times, less than five caps. So still pretty high-quality fields. Um, on the men's side, you had three former European junior champions in um, George Parker, Patrick Rooney, and also, who's the third? Slip my mind. Yeah, um, Richie Fallows. Yeah, Richie Fallows was the third. Um, and they ended up finishing first, second, and third as well. Uh, I caught a little bit of it. Uh, saw a couple of games of the final. Um, yeah, good quality match. Patrick Rooney looks like he's sort of moving. Up. George Parker has been fairly well established and playing some of these big events that we've seen on squash TV for a few years. So wasn't a shock to see him winning it. Um, but he seems like he's sort of on the, the verge of breaking. He actually was up in the top, close to top 30 a while back and he sort of dropped outside 40. Um, but it looks like he's going to be a threat. But Patrick Rooney, I think impressed me the most as someone that's going to break up, up into that top. Certainly top 50, probably even top 40 in the next year or two, I would imagine. Yeah, he's a class player. Uh, I actually played him a couple of times when he was very young. And I remember thinking at the time that this guy's going places. Like he's, he's, got a, he's, he's got a great attitude as well. Like he kind of just keeps to himself, goes about his business. And in between the space of the two times that we've played, there was huge and obvious improvement. So, yeah, I agree. I think he's um, put it into Star Wars context. If you're an English fan, you're like, and you hope. And then on the on the women's side, a couple college squash individual champions. Former. Yeah, big Harvard Yale grudge match in the final there, yeah. uh, with Georgina Kennedy against Millie Tomlinson. Millie's obviously graduated a while back and has been up in the. She's sort of hovered between twenty and thirty in the world for the last three or four years. Um, Georgina's probably a lot newer to a lot of viewers or. Anyone that caught some of her matches may have been surprised to see her playing at that level. But um, we certainly know from watching her over the last four years at Harvard just how good she is. And if you'd asked me how good she was, I would have said somewhere around 20 to 30. And I think that's from the results exactly where she is. Um, but yeah, phenomenal athlete. Um, she reminds me a lot of Hanya El-Hamami, just in the way she moves and covers the court and her athleticism. She doesn't quite hit the ball the same way as Hanya, so technically she's a little different, but she's someone that if she can use those strengths to her advantage, and it seems like she is, then she's definitely going to be a top 20 player pretty soon. Yeah, super, super mentally tough, super, uh, you know, always, always seems to be in, like, really good physical kind of form. Um, and And then I think, yeah, on top of that, she's just, like, a really – smart bright squash player as well it's a good ball she's got she kind of got the total package so it'll be be really interesting to see how she it kind of a tough year for a college grad trying to uh break into the psa obviously with with no tournaments not a lot of tournaments to allow that but 
I think she'll be, you know, probably she gets to play some events like this, get some training with the top, top English players. I think like she might almost be like better off ready to really make a run as soon as it kicks off again. Good going from Harvard to have two, you know, alums over the last sort of 12, 18 months come through and be playing at that level herself and Sabrina that are, I don't know where Sabrina's ranked or sorry, I sorry, I don't know where Georgina's ranked, but they're both obviously playing at that level between 20 to 30 or maybe in Sabrina's case, a little bit higher. Yeah. Sabrina one, one year ahead, right? I think. Yeah. One year. Yeah. And Sabrina's obviously now well inside the top 30 and Georgina throughout college was playing pretty much the same level. Actually had a much better record in the college individual championships. I think she won. She won three, three individual national championships in our four years. Sounds right. Yeah. Um, She won the one here, I think actually, right? She did. Yeah. She won the last, she won the last two, I believe. Right. I think she won as a freshman and then as a junior and senior. And the the year she didn't win it was um, when she lost to Rian Zedke, who was a Penn alum, um, before I got to Penn. But that, that was the only person she lost to in her four years, I believe. It's a pretty, pretty decent track record. Yep. Um, so, yeah, no, no real surprise that she's playing at that level to those that have followed her in college squash. Um, she's a former European junior champion as well. So again, good junior pedigree. And like you say, she just seems like a great hardworking girl. I know she's back in the UK now working with Ben Ford, I believe, who guy that Arthur and I certainly know fairly well and was a good player back in his day and also seems to be doing a great job with a lot of young up and coming players. I think he coached Georgina before she went to Harvard and he's now back working with her again. Yeah, that's right. I see yeah. Great guy, Ben. Shout out, Ben. Um, the other player that sort of interested me was another younger player on the men's side, um, Sam Todd, who was a lot of big things been said about. Um, hadn't really seen too much of him playing in senior level. He obviously dominates the British Junior Open most years um, and he's becoming more and more of a threat. I mean, he does have a pretty good world ranking. I think he's just outside the top 100. Um but I was quite curious to see how he got on. Um, and he ended up finishing sixth, I believe, um, which in, in one way suggests that there's still a little bit of work for him to do to make that transition from junior to senior, but it also shows just how strong that field was. Yeah, I was I was at the British last year and got to see him play in the in the finals of the under-17. And the under seventeen, he he cleaned up pretty good in the under seventeen, and then Mustafa El Serti, who was a, I think he was the wild card in the last Egypt Open, um, who I who I said I think he I can't remember, but I was said he was a player to watch, and I just kept thinking how how I wish those two were playing in the final of the under nineteen, because um, uh, I think Mustafa ran away with the under nineteen draw as well. So, but uh, yeah, definitely. I think I've, we've been hearing about him since he was like 12, right? That he was the next, uh, the next guy. So a lot of pressure, I think, but I think Malcolm Wellstrop, who coaches him has said that at the same age, he's better than James was. So no pressure there then. Yeah. That's, that's a big statement. James is pretty good. <laughs> he, he was. <laughs> yeah. He was outrageous. Far out. Speaking of, you know, young English players, did any of you guys listen to the Rob Owen interview with Jamie Haycox at the Squash Tourist and Friends podcast? I did. 
I haven't yet. No oh, how good was it? No spoilers. <laughs> it was brilliant, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's great to hear someone that just speaks their mind and has so many, not unique, but just interesting takes on, on the game and clearly is happy to speak his mind. And I think Jamie obviously knows Rob well and did a great job of sort of guiding the interviewing, getting the right information out of him. So, yeah, it was really, really good listen. Yeah, I have to say I'm, I was pretty disappointed that he cut it in two parts. So it's like, you know, nice 70 minutes there, which is 35 when you're listening in double speed. But uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is great. This is great. And then it was over. But I'm looking forward to part two, which hopefully will be out next week or, you know. Yeah. But yeah, it was interesting to listen to Rob's take just on the young English players and what, you know, he had to say about, about the crew. And I know he's working with some of them. Yeah, I think he works with... Um... I think he works with George Parker, who obviously won that event. I think he works with Jasmine Hutton, who finished third in the women's event. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think who else from from this past weekend's event. I'm not quite sure, if I'm honest. And then he's obviously got more established players like uh, Paul Call, Sarah Jane Perry, previously Joe Macon, but I don't think he's working with Joe anymore. So pretty, yeah. pretty good list. Yeah. Charlie Lee's another one, I think, that played this weekend or this week. Yeah, he's a good player. Um, he's, he's young, isn't he? He is, and he's actually a bit like his brother. He's had a few injury problems and was kind of someone that looked to be making good progress and then the last couple of years seems to have stalled through injury. Um, and I know Joe Lee, Joe's obviously a lot more uh, established and got up, I think, top 30 in the world but is also trying to come back from, I think in Joe's case, it was a back injury. Uh, I'm not 100% sure what uh, yeah. Charlie's issues have been. But I know Joe's had a tough time over the last couple of years. I think he had a couple of back surgeries. Brutal. Yeah. So, But again, Charlie finished, I believe, fourth. Yeah, Charlie finished fourth. So again, pretty strong field. So looks like he's sort of getting back to somewhere. And if his body holds up and... He could be someone else we could be seeing in the near future. Yeah. So Egyptian Open coming up next week. We got we got a li- nice little squestival as we go into lockdown. <laughs> hey, happy days. <laughs> yeah, twelve days. Twelve days of Christmas to twelve days of squish. <laughs> exactly. Where do we want to start with this one? I, I suppose uh, Marwan El Shabagi withdrew due to suspension. <laughs> Yeah, I found that hilarious. That was one of my favourite articles I've read this week was he withdrew due to being suspended and not allowed to play the event. Um, <laughs> not quite sure that's my definition of withdrawing when you're <laughs> given a suspension and told you can't play, but fair enough. Should we give him the benefit of the doubt and say they just missed like the has been withdrawn? <laughs> has been withdrawn by the PSA, not has voluntarily withdrawn? Yeah. Just a little grammatical, grammatical mess there. How does that no, conversation go, though? It's like, Marwan, you, you, would you mind if you withdrew from the event? <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm not withdrawing. It's, no. a, bit, it's a bit like, uh, you can't fire me, I quit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of those situations. Yeah. But yeah, we'll, we'll obviously have um, a couple of episodes shortly before the, the tournament start with in-depth previews of the draws and who to look out for and what our world-famous predictions are. Um, But 
Yeah, it's certainly a blow to the tournament to lose someone of his calibre, especially when his brother, as we know, is already not playing because it's being held in Egypt. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's going to be a shame that both of them are missing. Yeah, he was lined up. I think all things going to plan to seedings, a rematch with Tarek Moman, which would have been uh, would have been great to see. Yeah. Well, you've got an interview coming up with... Uh... Julia Brookholz. There you go. I was just about to say it, but you got there uh, first. No, uh, so we'll tweet a link to this, or we'll put it in the show notes, but there was a really interesting article with Julia, who I coach at Penn, um, just about how she got, got into Penn. She she wasn't recruited. Um, she was a good junior, um, but then she had some uh, personal issues going on in her life with uh, her father, unfortunately, passed away when she was sort of looking to be um, recruited. So we discussed that a little bit um, and how she ended up at Penn and then what the experience has been like. But she's, she's one of these girls that gives hope to all aspiring players that if you put the work in then great things can happen um, so I first came to Penn in about a year ago and she was captain of the team um, and was playing number three uh, had some really good results last year was due to be in her final year this year as captain again and we'll speak about the, sort of how it's been being a college squash player this year with no college squash happening um, how it's been having disruption to your life with your usual routine of practice and matches on weekend taken away and just get into a little bit of that. Uh, I think hopefully it'll be quite a, an interesting perspective that probably a lot of people in a lot of different circumstances can relate to, whether it's not having access to courts in their own life or spe- specifically for college course players. I think there'll be a lot that they can relate to. Yeah, I look forward to yeah, I look forward to, to hearing that. It's quite, it was a great article. Really, sort of caught my attention. And she seems like a very inspiring character, someone, to, great person to have there to motivate and inspire the troops as they uh, as she leads them out as captain for uh, for the matches. Yeah, she's certainly been a great captain. Um, but just from the, the experience I've had with her and seeing the way she she motivates her teammates and sort of leads by example with her work ethic and attitude. So, yeah, yeah, uh, and. In like the world of college sports in general, but college squash as well, it is a lot of it does come down to recruiting, right? And it's this big recruiting game, but it's not always just like recruiting the top players who are in the top 10 in the country. It's also like finding people like Julia, who over a four-year career make an impact by like working so hard and kind of being a leader by example, then being a captain and then also um, kind of just like motivating everyone from within, which is really impossible maybe for most outsiders to know, but um, but really changes the dynamic of a team, um, as you you know mentioned, Stuart. And it's also about being coachable. And I think one of her greatest strengths is her willingness to seek advice and feedback and and embrace it and try and get on court and work on it, not just sort of, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do that, and then they step on court and they haven't changed a single thing. She's she's very good at taking things on board and then going away and figuring out a way to try and implement it in her own game without taking away her, her own strengths. So I think that's a big lesson that other people can learn from is just that that 
uh, attribute of making yourself coachable and making yourself someone that coaches want to work with because they feel like they can help you and you want to be helped. Yeah, you're seeking improvement, not being complacent on who you are or how good your level is. It's like, how are you going to get better? Yeah. Splendid. We'll, uh, we'll seep into that interview. Okay, welcome to the show, Julia Buckles, or Jules, as you're better known to your friends. Um, so th- thanks for joining us, Jules. Of course, I'm happy to be here. So yeah, we wanted to speak to you about an amazing article that was published this week in the Daily Pennsylvanian uh, newspaper. Uh, it talks about your your journey to be, well, not recruited, but to get on the team at Penn and also your experience since you've been here. So first up, do you want to just tell us a little bit about your backstory in squash when you started playing how you got into it and all that yeah absolutely so as a as a kid I always had a lot of energy and I played soccer in the fall and lacrosse in the spring but I didn't have anything in the winter so my best friend's mom played on the trinity squash team um, when she was in college and my mom was dying for me to get a winter sport in so I wouldn't be causing um, chaos around the household (laughs) So she signed me up for squash lessons in clinics and I started playing squash at probably age seven and I fell in love with it. I uh, kind of played casually throughout my childhood, um, treated it mostly as a winter sport, um, playing soccer actually then in both seasons in the, in the fall and in the spring and squash in the winter. And then when I was about, I think 13 or 14, I grew, I think eight inches in a little over a year and it was just way too fast for my my body to keep up with so I tore my left hamstring and pulled my right one and I decided that um at that point I needed to kind of pick a sport I couldn't keep doing everything where I was just going to keep getting injured so I thought I was honestly the best at squash at that point soccer I was I was kind of starting to fall behind in in the in the league I was playing in so I, I decided to stick with squash And I played tournaments, but I wasn't necessarily like that great of a player growing up. Um, But I did really love the sport and kind of I had a coach, um, Parth Sharma, um, early on um, in my childhood who kind of made me fall in love with the sport. So I I wanted to stick with it and and kind of fell in love with it, which was great. And competitively, what sort of um, standard were you playing at? Were you playing JCTs and national tournaments or... Yeah, so I I was playing, I I played in in the silver tournaments until about high school, and then I started playing gold tournaments, and I just made it into the JCTs. I had a couple big wins um, and a couple JCTs that helped me uh, keep my my ranking up, but I never played any international tournaments um, or played abroad, but um, I did play in in nationals and in the U.S. Open starting, I think, my sophomore year of high school, Um, and then when I was in high school, um, my junior year of high school, my, my father passed away from a long battle with cancer. And I, for some reason in all parts of my life was totally like fine, able to function, um, kind of going about my normal life, but in squash, it just hit me. Um, and I could not compete. I started losing pretty much every match I played. I couldn't make it through a lesson (laughs) with my coach without crying. And I was just like a mess. And that was my junior year of high school. So that was right in prime recruiting time. Um, And that kind of started to harm my recruiting prospects of when I was a a sophomore in high school, 
I was kind of getting to be a better player. I'd just come off my hamstring injuries and was probably top 15 to 20 in the country. Um, so I was getting looked at by some college coaches. And then I think by my junior year, I had fallen into like the low 30s and I was just getting demolished in every tournament, and every match I ever played, which was really tough. So, so did you end up having offers, but just at schools that you weren't interested in, or did you literally not really have any offers at all on the table? I had some offers, but I knew what schools I wanted to go to, kind of, um, and I wasn't getting offers at, at those schools. Um, so I actually applied to Princeton early decision, and I didn't get in. And at that time in my life, I thought that was the biggest failure that like I would ever experience ever, which I've now learned that was not my biggest failure in life. Um, But at the time it was like, I failed. I was the only one who played in nationals who was not committed to a college. Um, So like everyone was taking their pictures with their college shirts on and I still didn't know where I was going, which was really tough. Um, But to, to uh, my current other coach's credit, Jack Wyant gave me a call the day after I didn't get into Princeton and encouraged me to come down and, and take a visit um, and to stay with one of the girls on the team. And I fell in love with Penn. And I like knew from that moment, I stayed with Lindsay Stanley, who was one of my like enemies in junior squash. <laughs> and we had the best time and she walked me around the campus and I, I loved it so much. Um, so I applied to Penn, regular decision, um, with the intention of walking onto the squash team. And then thankfully got in and uh, have been back in love with squash ever since. So you mentioned Jack already. What was the sort of environment that you walked into? And what do you remember Jack saying anything about what he expected from you or what he was hoping or his, his I guess, his, his aspirations for you over the next four years? <laughs> Um, I don't think he really expected much given how I was performing in my uh, junior and senior year um, squash career, but um, he always encouraged me to like train and work hard and and to be better than than, um, I was currently playing at. Um, And the kind of environment that I I walked into was was really interesting um, because Penn had been formerly the second best uh, team in the country and it had been that way for a really long time. I remember when I was looking at Penn junior year, there was, I think there were six girls who were all number one in their individual countries before they came to Penn. Um, and I kind of caught that tail end where we still had our top four players who were like pro level squash players. And then we had four freshmen in the starting nine um, kind of at the back of the lineup and we had no idea what was going on and we were trying our best to win matches, but it's just so tough freshman year. You're playing at a whole different level. Um, the pressure you're playing in front of crowds. I had never played in front of a crowd before, never played on a college. I never played on a team, a squash like team before. Cause I didn't have a high school team. Um, so it was just a whole different dynamic and it was hard freshman year. Cause there was just a changing culture of you know, the older girls who are, we've been the best, we want to win. And you guys aren't like, you know, you guys are, are kind of terrible compared to us. Um, in comparison to us, we were just like, you know, we're trying our best. We want to, we want to win too, but you know, I've, I've never played an international squash tournament and, and have never played in front of a crowd before. It's just a lot of pressure that we'd never faced, which was really tough, um, to kind of acclimate to in the beginning. 
Yeah, I mean, especially talk about those girls. One of them was obviously Reham, who was possibly the best player in college squash at that time and um, is absolutely ruthless on court. Not necessarily yeah. as a person, but just in the way that she goes about, like crushes any opponent she can. Yeah. Any of it is, she's very intense. And, and to be like an average American squash player to jump on court with Reham and have her pumping the balls at you so fast. I remember being terrified freshman year. Um, which was really, really tough uh, to acclimate to, for sure. But then you obviously did play on the team that year and sort of slowly worked your way up. Um, yeah. My first season, which was last year, you were up to number three in the team and you were obviously captain. So so where do you feel like your game's at now? And obviously the disappointment that's come in the last couple of weeks with losing the season, how do you feel about all that? Yeah, so to give some background on that, my freshman year, my my whole goal was to to make the team and to play top nine. Um, and I think my first match I played eight, but for the majority of the season, I ended up playing six on the team. Um, and once I kind of got in that team environment and to play for not only yourself, but for like a whole group of people, um, it's just so different than playing junior squash when you're being motivated by other people and you're not necessarily winning for yourself, you're winning for something like so much larger than yourself. It just increases your motivation to train, to work hard, to fight on court. Um, and that kind of environment really made me fall back in love with the sport. Um, and over the summers I trained pretty hard. I played fourth on the team my sophomore year. And then I think an even bigger jump was playing from going from four to three. Um, and I played third on the team this past year. I was elected captain um, at the end of my sophomore year, so to start junior year, and that was a phenomenal experience, and and kind of looking back now with the season canceled, I'm so thankful that I had that opportunity to lead the team um, and to be able to play at that level um, and not have any regrets was really crucial for me because now the season's canceled, Um, I can like look back on my college career and think that I didn't have one practice or one match that I didn't give my all. Um, I didn't give a hundred percent. So it's been easier for me to cope with, but that's definitely not the norm. Um, And it is really, really sad and disappointing that our season was canceled. But at the same time, I do understand there's a global pandemic happening um, and it's not necessarily that easy to kind of prioritize sports right now. So I, I understand, but that doesn't necessarily make the 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 news and the blow any any lighter, which has been really tough. And what's it been like at Penn? I know that you're, even though the classes are all online or virtual, um, there's a, about half the men's and the women's team are kind of on campus or staying in off-campus housing near campus, yeah. and hanging out a little bit, and you've been doing occasional workouts. And although the courts at Penn are closed, there's there's access to courts uh, across at the racket club. So what's what's the semester been like without that sort of structure and routine that you're used to and without squash, which has been such a huge part of your life? Yeah, honestly, it's been really hard. I think it definitely took an adjustment period in the beginning of the semester, kind of being there, not being able to go to a library, not walking to classes, not having the structure of practice. It's just, it's, it's not the same pen experience that I've known for the past three years. And I can't say that I'm like, disappointed I'm not running stadiums at 7 30 in the morning twice a week but I really miss the carved out time to just hang out with my team work out 
um, and just like have that like release from the the stress in the school day. Um, cause it's hard. It's, it's, I haven't had to motivate myself to, to kind of work out on my own in so long. Cause I'm always training for squash and I always have an end goal, um, in mind, um, whether it's like for a, a match or, or for training for the next year or anything, like I always have a goal and to kind of lose that. It's just like, you just kind of feel like, like your purpose is like a little bit diminished, um, which is really sad, but we've been, we've been making the most of it. I mean, we have this kind of opportunity and I, I think there's either you can look at it and say, this is terrible. This sucks. Like it's our senior year. This is, this is the worst thing that could ever happen. Or you could think like we have this incredible opportunity all this time, virtual classes. We can try to make the most of it, spend time together in a safe way um, and try to find new ways to have fun. So our team in particular um, have been, we've been doing a couple of, of workouts. We ran hill sprints, um, twice in the past month. Um, we've been doing some runs and circuits, just trying to stay in shape and to, to keep each other motivated. And we've been doing a lot of team dinners. We had a little team Thanksgiving right before we left. Um, and just trying to stay connected and, and support each other. Cause these, these times aren't easy and we want to make sure that we're kind of all there together. Um, which has been a, a kind of a, uh, a silver lining to this whole thing yeah I mean it's it's obviously tough but it seems like the people that are on campus have really enjoyed the time that they've got to spend together what I sort of feel is that it must be particularly tough for the seniors that don't have another season to look forward to so how do you feel about that and do you have any idea of what your future in the sport of squash is going to look like yeah I, I think it's really hard um to come to terms with. I've been uh, playing at the racket club downtown because once I, I kind of got my, I was going through the job recruiting process in the fall. And once I got everything sorted, I, I realized that probably next year, I'm not going to have a lot of time to play squash. Um, it is something I love. I've never, I, I may have felt a little bit burnt out at the end of the season, um, just kind of every year, just from traveling, but I'm definitely not burnt out from the sport. Like I, I would play every single day if I could, just because I love it. Um, so realizing I'm not going to be able to play a lot next year. And, and with the lockdown that courts aren't going to be readily available. I have been playing a lot at the racket club downtown, um, and just not doing court sprints or, or ghosting, but just having fun and, and playing and like having some fun and, and just enjoying the sport. Um, and I'm hoping I'm going to be in New York next year. So I'm hoping I'll join a club if they're open um, and try to play some matches on the weekend, and just get that little competitive release um, from the sport. Cause that's like my favorite thing is just playing some matches, playing threes, competing um, and getting a good sweat. So I'm definitely going to keep playing. Maybe I'll crush the double circuit one day Just start, you know, become a pro doubles player in my free time. I think that'd be a good, good path for me. Um, yeah. but I'm definitely not burnt out and don't want to ever have a life without squash. So I'll definitely keep it there. Well, there was a quote in the DP article that said, I've always been extremely competitive. And when I read that, I was like, yeah, no shit. Yeah. I, yeah, I struggle. My family struggles to play any kind of board games. We played spike ball yesterday and I got in some trouble. Um, I just, I can't, I don't know. I can't control it really. It's tough for me. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, to your credit, I think I think you've learned to channel that in a very productive way in terms of your training and and the way you go about things. And 
Um, certainly one of the things I've enjoyed from working with you is just your your willingness to try new things and you're always looking to improve and get better. And I think that's underrated. I think not everyone that wants to be better and has that competitive is willing to take feedback on board the way you are. So I just want to say that I've certainly enjoyed working with you and thanks for joining us. All right, fellas, that's, a, that's another good episode. Happy yeah. Friday. It's a good Friday. <laughs> Happy Friday. <laughs>